From Calvary Church of Santa Ana, this is the Calvary Life Podcast, the show where we share stories, laugh together, and have discussions about faith, life, and God with people from Calvary Church. Here's your host, Eric Wakeling. All right, welcome to the Calvary Life Podcast. I'm Eric Wakeling, and we are in the third week of this series talking about worship here on this podcast. And we have with us today Josh Wathen, our very own, but also Todd Proctor. Say hi, guys. How you doing? Hello. <laughs> hello, hello. All right. Well, um, Todd, excited to have you with us. I know um, I first kind of knew a little bit, I think, about you from like way back in the day with the whole Dawson McAllister conferences, you know, and it was like yes. you and Mark, Mark Matlock and, and, uh, and Tomlin and Chris Tomlin, right. Doing magic and music together. That may have, may have happened. <laughs> yes. Uh, but that was awesome. Uh, knowing the, so the Matlock family is kind of connected to Calvary church, just so you know, oh, um, that's right. Yeah. So, but we, we love them and, uh, that's great. But then part of this team starting rock Harbor church in Costa Mesa, that was I think probably like one of the big ways that people that are listening to this might, you know, that know about you and from you. Uh, and I'm sure that was kind of a, a huge experience in your life. But these days working with the Alpha Course, which we love, mm -hmm. this whole thing called The Way. And, uh, and then this family of house churches called Canopy. So excited. I think you as this worship uh, leader, pastor, person that's kind of been in this realm of worship through music for a long time, I think can add a lot to this whole conversation. But so for you, you know, even as we kind of start off with that, what for you has been kind of like, what has driven your sort of theology of worship? It's kind of what has grounded you, you know, with that throughout yeah. the years? Because I mean, you've been doing a whole host of different kind of types of experiences, I think, right? Yeah, well, it's definitely been a journey. I mean, it's a journey I think we all take in terms of it's it's not necessarily, at least for me, it hasn't been this arrival into, oh, I get it all now. It's, I think one of the exciting things about worship is it's a journey of discovering more and more and more of God. And uh, for me, even as you talk back in these early days of doing youth events and conferences, mm -hmm. honestly, in pretty embarrassing ways, I look back and realize I didn't have a lot of anchoring. I didn't have a lot of theology. I just had a lot of practice and my practice was primarily how do we get people singing? You know, how do we engage people? Yeah. And it wasn't even maybe towards the end of that run that I began to realize, oh, wait, this isn't about just engaging people. It's about engaging people with God. And I began <laughs> to realize this is something, and this is before, this was a long time ago. So yeah. this is before worship was really a thing. In fact, even the word worship wasn't commonplace. You know, the word praise, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. music ministry, obviously there was a lot aimed corally in churches, which is great, but very different than what we're experiencing now in the midst of what's been kind of a couple of decades of worship movement and, yeah. you know, in some words of some revival. But in these early days for me, it was discovering, well, first of all, this isn't just about getting people singing or, you know, even in some cases, allegedly hand motions were in play in some cases. <laughs> um, but there's this connection with God that we want to help facilitate that felt more and more right and true as, as I begin to lead in more contexts. And then when... I had the chance to help plant Rock Harbor as the part-time founding worship guy. I began to take a whole new journey in worship that involved not just helping people sort of interact with God vertically, but have them bring something to God. And I think that this became the 
if you're asking about, man, what is the core theology I carry yeah. around worship? It, it, it was really around worship as sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting is there was a guy that was on our worship team. He was, he seemed really old. And now I'm realizing he was probably younger than I am now, you know, but at, <laughs> at this point I was, I think 30 and there was a guy that was a pretty seasoned musician, but also had done a lot of homework around Jewish studies and Hebrew tradition. And he was really well acquainted with this crew called the Levites. And he said, mm-hmm. you know, you, if you want to understand worship, you need to understand the Levites and the role they played. And I became a student and became fascinated with all the parallels between the, the service and role of, of Old Testament Levites and the possibilities of, of worship pastor in kind of our current context. Hmm. But so much of that involved sacrifice. So much of the role of the Levites involved facilitating not only encounters of God, but the chance, the chance for God's people to respond to him through sacrifice. So I began to understand even our Sunday gatherings and, and other gatherings where worship was in play of my jobs to help people not only encounter God, but, but offer something of themselves back to him. Hmm. And that became, yeah, core theology for me. And that has evolved. Again, I'm still learning even, you know, 20, 30 years down the road of doing this, but that's always been baseline for me is, am I helping people bring sacrifices? Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I was just talking to this guy that was actually, he was in Africa and he was having to, uh, they were having to actually kill a sheep for their, just for for food, Mm -hmm. you know, but there was a bunch of people that were on this mission strip that were part and they actually saw when the person did actually cut the, the sheep's throat, right? And they, they began to see the blood spill from it. And, I, and they said how, he was telling me how everybody just kind of like was stunned into silence and thinking about that this is the this is the kind of sacrifice that was made. And then even to this is what Christ has done for us. And they were, mm. they were so sobered by the reality of the word sacrifice now. They saw it, you know, in its fullest. Mm-hmm. And it's so sort of almost like a trite word for us. You know, it can be like, I'm bringing my sacrifice of praise. Like me singing some words is really so hard. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's, well, that's a really good point because I I do think, um, I mean, there's so many aspects. I mean, Josh, I'm sure you can relate with this. There's so many things we sing. And honestly, that we lead others in singing that, we or sometimes they have no concept of even what they're really saying. Right, that's right. dangerous in itself. It is. But it sacrifice is. would be one of those words. Is yeah, that's a, that's a co- obviously baked into the word itself is cost. It's a yes. costly mm-hmm. act to participate in, which is ironic because we happen to live in a time and specifically a place in Orange County where um, we want it to come as easy and cheap and convenient as possible. Right. Because mm-hmm. so much of church has been wired around our preferences. Right. So it's it's a it's a challenging. Yeah, you know, situation as worshipers, right? And to evaluate our experience of it based on what we got out of it, yes. When when it's supposed to be sacrifices, mm-hmm. doesn't seem to sort of match up, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, it's a it's a, that's why this is such a huge topic, I think, because we do get something out of it. You know, we've kind of wrestled with this a little bit, even on this series of like, well, okay, because we know we do get something out of it. We do know mm-hmm. it's very, it can be a very moving. Some of the most incredible sort of moving times between God and myself, I feel like have been in these sorts of times of singing and worship, right? Mm-hmm. However, I know I'm also not coming for that, but coming to give that, but it's a, it's a, it's both. Like, how do you weigh that a little, you know? Cause I know you want people to come and have an experience with God, mm. but it's, it's interesting. 
Yeah, well, the good news about God is you you cannot outgive God. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, yeah. you just can't. And so, however much you give, you're going to get more in return. And the other good news is he he's not all that ambiguous in how he wants us to come to him in worship. He, there's some pretty clear, you know, throughout Scripture. But I think of Psalms specifically. You know, he makes it clear he wants us to come grateful. He wants us to come expectant. Mm-hmm. He wants us to come reverent. And he wants us to bring sacrifices. He wants to come as we are. Uh, you know, probably the verse maybe that's influenced me more than any other is just a very familiar Romans 12. You know, that's the, the opening Romans 12 is that core theology of sacrifice. Yeah. But what's good is that we're liberated to not having to kill goats. You <laughs> right, know, and, exactly. And, and we're also invited to come in ourselves yeah. as opposed to handing off to a Josh to do it for me, yep. which unfortunately still people carry that sort of latent theology of, no, I really, I want to vicariously experience worship through Josh or, or you know, theology through Eric as mm-hmm. opposed to, no, I can come in mm-hmm. and receive for myself. But part of the receiving begins with me giving myself mm-hmm. in worship and that's pretty clear biblically as far as what God is looking for. And if the question of worship, which it is, by the way, is what does God want instead of what do we want? Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. if we're asking not not what we want, we know what that looks like. And yeah. we see all yeah. sorts of you know facets of that in modern church. But if the question is what does God want? He's again, he's not all that secretive about it. He's saying there's some qualities I'm looking for in the worship you bring. But as we position ourselves grateful, reverent, expectant, um, honest, even contrite, mm-hmm. we will not outgive him. He, yeah. If we give that, he'll give back tenfold. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. I remember, uh, I actually remember kind of stealing, uh, we didn't put these same signs up, but I remember, I, but I used this language that I saw at Rock Harbor of these signs that you guys had yeah. as you drive out the driveway that were like, worship starts here, I think is what it says. Right. Yeah. yeah. Worship begins here. Or worship begins here. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I will say that's reflective, Eric, of a journey we took. So I said, this was a journey. This wasn't just an arrival. And even Rock Harbor here in Orange County is still marked as a a church that's fairly passionate about worship. Sure. We didn't start there at all. I mean, there there was a um, pretty diligent path we took towards not only singing songs, but sermon series and conversations and and even designing ways where our people would be forced to enter differently. There were There were gatherings, no kidding, where we would have people leave the room and come back in because we just assumed, yeah, you probably didn't come in with a lot of reverence today or a lot mm. of gratitude. Mm. And, and let's let's just take the time to re-enter this room. Huh. And and it wasn't one thing, but it was the accumulation of lots of those things together. But those signs were part of it where we begin to realize that as people were driving in, if they could be awakened at that point mm-hmm. to, oh, wow, I'm supposed to have something ready yeah. in my heart to bring, yeah. that would raise the temperature of, of worship in our church, and it did. That's cool. And the irony is then on the other side driving out, it worked as well, because as they were driving out, one of the things we'd always say is, you know, our most important worship begins as we leave this place. Yeah. Mm. And in ways, everything that happens in this hour and a half service is preparing us for the more important lived out aspect of worship. So those yep. signs were helpful, but they're also an example of a church that had to stay on the journey of learning. Mm-hmm. Right, right. That's so cool. I love that. Okay, so how do you think a person can, you know, sit in a church seat on a Sunday morning or stand at there? They, they come in, they come to their spot. How can they grow in their ability to be a quote unquote, you know, good worshiper? Like how can someone, if they... You know, they, they come to church regularly and they're just saying, hey, I want to be 
you know, I want to do my best with this. I want to bring God my best. Like what, how can someone grow in that? You know, I mean, for both of you, you guys can kind of both Yeah, I want to defer to Josh because I just want to say side note. Yeah. Josh and I have become friends over the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. You guys have one of the most ridiculously gifted, (laughs) passionate, crazy young. Like I I thought Josh was 30 when I first met him. I know, right? (laughs) But God, one of the ways that Calvary should know, that you guys should know that God is really interested in this conversation when it comes to your community is because he invested Josh in your community. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just have so much esteem as I've watched him in conversations. I've, I've been led by Josh, you know, in big crowds, but I've also watched him in conversations on this journey himself and his passion to lead this community on the journey. So I'm probably more interested in what he has to say. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so it's impart good. your wisdom, Josh. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> so, you know, how can someone that wants to do well at this, like, what do, you, what do you think they should do? I mean, you even have, I can kind of cue you up to start you because yeah. you've got a lo- sort of a quote unquote line that you say every right, now and yeah. then, the baggage one. You want to like start there? Yeah. So I guess a line that I use a lot here, whether it's in between songs or even to start the services, you know, as we enter into worship, let's not leave our baggage at the door, but bring it into the feet of Jesus. Because I think there's been such this cliche thing created around worship of, oh, let's just leave our, you know, leave our baggage at the door, leave our worries at the door and just come in and, you know, be full into what we're doing here. And I think the reality we have to remind ourselves of is people aren't walking into church as fired up as we are, you know, they have, they have not been praying over the service plan, looking over the songs, you know, prepping a message, like praying over the people that are coming into the doors. Like they haven't been doing that prep work that, you know, kind of like what you're talking about is with the signs of how that starts to prepare people. We've been doing that all week long, but the average churchgoer, you know, some of them, you know, we're fighting with their spouse on the way here. Some of them have four kids that, you know, they're trying desperately, you know, so hard to get them on time to church and still make it in by the second song. (laughs) Um, And I think it's, you know, why I use that line so often is to remind people like, hey, you don't have to come on, come in here polished up. You don't have Mm -hmm. to come in here with everything put together. In fact, this is the place that is the most, should be the most welcoming and accepting of people who have had a terrible week, who have, you know, had all the things in life pile up, this is the place where we are restored and are renewed and are refreshed uh, in the presence of God. And, you know, to be, you know, as we were talking about earlier, to be launched out, to be more prepared to live out that life of worship for the week, for the week ahead. How do you think if somebody wants to prepare, because not to be polished up, not to, you know, not to get rid of their baggage, Mm -hmm. not that side of it, but if, you know, you talked about for us, like we've done this preparation. So we're kind of coming in just like ready. Like we're kind of at the edge of our seat pumped mm-hmm. up. Right. Like maybe, I mean, maybe how could someone prepare themselves? Yeah. I think a lot of it goes back to what you mentioned, Todd, with the Psalms earlier of, you know, there's that word be expectant. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's oftentimes we just walk into church and we expect to sing a few songs, see the people that we, you know, enjoy seeing on Sundays and to hear a good sermon. And that's all we get out of it. But yeah, and I've even, you know, implored our congregation to do this. What would happen if we would shift our expectation to actually believe that the God that we worship is the God that was moving, you know, in mighty powerful ways in the old and new Testament, the, this God we read about in the Bible, who's performing all these miraculous miracles and leading these people out of dark places and into, uh, just an abundance. That's the same God that we worship. And so even throughout the week, just the more that we can 
fix our mind on that. And even, even reading stories about God and the things that he did, like, wow, God, you're so awesome and powerful and mighty. Um, and we have the chance then to like come together on Sunday and worship that same God. And I think I've, I've even throughout my life realized the power of content consumption throughout the week. So the more that my, you know, the more that I allow to, you know, come into my heart and my life, whether it's actively or passively, the things that I'm reading, the things that I'm watching, the things that I'm listening to, it has an effect on my heart, my heart place and my mindset, my attitude going into whatever situation it is. And I think, um, you know, if our, our week has been filled with just, you know, drama, whether it's in social media or, you know, negative things happening on in the world, we carry that mindset and that baggage into church and we, we equate God or whatever's happening in our life with that. And I think the more throughout the week that, you know, whether it's just switching the music that we listen to or like even, Mm. you know, and not legalistically or religiously, but with a purpose saying no intentionally outside of a Sunday morning context, I want to focus my attention on the Lord. That's interesting to me. Yeah, you're right. Because I think we live in this cynical world, you know, where mm-hmm. like our cynicism is just so stoked like a fire when you, you know, yeah. like you're just stoking the fire of cynicism mm-hmm. that then we come into a Sunday morning maybe and we've got this sort of cynicism or we're skeptical or is this, we kind of got our arms folded and right. look and watch and everything. Like, do I really trust this, you know, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. but to kind of let yourself go a little bit with that and then to maybe feed into some of that just a godly positivity, not a false, you know, positivity, mm-hmm. but throughout our week, just kind of yeah. like really feeding into that a little bit more. It's mm-hmm. interesting. I don't know. Any thoughts for you, Todd, on that? Yeah. Uh, I agree with everything Josh just said. And and I do think actually in the showing up process, um, two things that come to mind. One of them is I've learned and I've observed that maturity in the kingdom, you know, as you are on the road of, of, being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, learning to do things he did, and just growing in that Christian maturity, that should mean needing less and less of what we prefer, not more and more of what we prefer. So there is a sense when it comes to worship, and there's so many experienced dynamics of worship, you know, volume and style and who's leading, what songs are singing, (laughs) and how are the lights, and what font are the lyrics. And we we live in a time where there's... if, if we're about our preferences, you know, that is almost an infinite list now of possibilities. Right. But maturity should be, gosh, I, I need less and less of my preferences. Because if worship is sacrifice, it's exciting to actually be able to sacrifice my preference. Yeah. Um, and that will prepare my heart in a mature way to engage the living God. Mm-hmm. So I think part of it is just checking preferences at the door. You know, it's like, yeah. is we're, we're not checking our brokenness at the door. I love that or our baggage. Um, Cause David models, we can bring that right into the presence of God. That's, mm-hmm. that's something weird to bring in. And even Paul talks about that in Romans 12, you know, bring your whole life with God, not just the, the cleaned up parts, hmm. but to go, yeah, I want to check my preferences. I just want to come and uh, as a mature worshiper, uh, just not expect to have it my way. Yeah. That's one thing. And then the thing I think is just risk. I think God really delights in people that are willing to step out of their comfort zones. I mean, that's just clear. Mm-hmm. Biblically, I mean, that's the through line is everyone God uses greatly is forced out of places they would choose, you know, mm-hmm. to stay in and, and they're forced out of their comfort zone in ways that grow them. And I think worship can be that. And so that doesn't mean hyping stuff or forcing stuff, but I think sometimes we've made such an idol out of 
um, I, I need to be true to myself or I need to stay mm-hmm. within what's authentic. And there's times when David danced, whether he felt like it or not, you know, yeah. Yeah. clearly, I think even physical worship, one thing I, I've had a chance to do in many settings is teach that often biblically and practically our our physical posture leads our hearts. Sometimes we think it's it's only authentic if it flows from our hearts and then we're, our hands are magically lifted, but there's yeah. something in the reaching for God physically that lifts our hearts to that sense of, I need God. Yeah. Um, so I'd say another way to prepare is just to prepare to risk, you know, prepare today mm-hmm. to really step out of your comfort zone in some way. Now, for some people that may just be, be being silent and just saying, instead of engaging, you know, in passionate singing, I want to reflectively just kind of observe today. And mm. and that's where I just trust the spirit to lead. But I would say mm. dying to preferences and embracing risk are two ways to prepare well. That's huge. And then even this thing that you lead called the way is kind of helping people figure out what are these practices that we should, right? Part of that is, is I, I, I've only kind of got some glimpses of yeah. it, but what are these practices of a person that is following Jesus, right? And I think as you develop that, that should help too. But yeah, I mean, the, the way was um, basically designed for people from lots of churches in Orange County to come together and recalibrate to who is Jesus, how do he live, how do we live like that? And that sounds simple, but as you know, Eric, in leading a church, churches, <laughs> you know, we have to say on a sustained version that often has to take many twists and turns, and it's it's liberating to just go, we only have to be, you know what, we don't have announcements, we don't have, you know, a lot of the agendas that are necessary for leading particularly a large community like Calvary, we can just yeah. stay on a simple plot line. Mm-hmm. But what that does is, is we grow in these practices of Jesus. Again, it, it frees us more and more to not only become like Jesus, but I think to calibrate to Jesus and, and I, I use that word because I think worship does that. You know, Absolutely. it's Hebrews 10 says, don't give up meeting together. I think part of what the author had in mind was there is something about coming together as God's people that calibrates us, recalibrates us in needed ways to what's most important, mm-hmm. like holding on to hope together, stirring each other up towards good works together. And so the way we're just trying to calibrate to Jesus because we lose sight, we get out of alignment, we get out of kind of balance or, or clarity. And so part of what worship should even do in our gatherings is it just brings us back into focus. This is what matters most about life. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's awesome. Because that, that's some of the primary language actually that we have used about worship oh, is really? that, um, so rather than recalibrate, but it was like realignment. So, mm-hmm. which is exactly, you even just said out of alignment, you know, and that's right. that worship realigns our heart to God's heart and the reality of who God is. That's right. And, and I really think that, um, that's like huge for me of kind of that weekly, especially that just if we're thinking of Sunday morning kind of worship gathering time, that that's what that really does for me in my heart. Like, okay, I've, I've, I've sort of gone off in this direction in my heart, my mind and my mm-hmm. body, whatever. And it's like, okay, let me get realigned back into but you in know line what, with God. You know what, Eric, first of all, I love, I love that. Cause I, um, I haven't thought much about that, but I, that, that strikes me as true as mm-hmm. far as this calibration thing and realignment. I'm reminded of a, I think it was A.W. Tozer has this amazing metaphor he used around, you know, how do you bring people together? Because obviously worship on Sundays isn't just about me. It's about me with others calibrating. Yeah. But he used the analogy, and I'm a piano player, so I can appreciate this, is if you were trying to tune 100 pianos to each other, how would you do that well? (laughs) Um, And he said, well, what you do is you tune each piano individually to perfect pitch, and then they'd all be in tune with each other. 
And I love the picture of that as saying there's something about each of us being attuned or, or calibrated to God mm-hmm. that actually brings us into unity with each other. Yes. Yeah. And that, that happens on <laughs> Sunday mornings. Isn't that powerful? I, I mm-hmm. love that picture. It's super powerful. I love that too. It's awesome. What do you think about, you know, have you guys traveled some and kind of worshiped in some places, you know, over overseas? Like, I mean, I've been in some these small churches in Kenya or these like an orphanage in Mexico. And it's like some of the worst quality, (laughs) (laughs) you know, when you just think of like, are the, are the instruments in tune? Are the voices, you know, like on pitch are the, you know, what, what is the sort of, you know, they're using an overhead projector still from the nineties or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and so when we think of like quote unquote quality and it's everything is just off, but it is just like off the charts, passion movement. It feels like the Holy spirit is just like moving in some radical ways in, in these settings. I just wonder what is it that, uh, we're missing in that, or what can we learn? Not just to be negative about our experience, but what can we learn from, from those experiences? What have you guys you know, experienced in that, or I know some of these like new movements of God in England that you've been part of, mm-hmm. of really seeing, I don't know, thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, I, one thought I have, um, one of my favorite quotes is uh, Oswald Chambers. It, it's complete weakness and dependence is always the occasion of the spirit of God to manifest his power. Hmm. Um, and wait, Oswald Chambers or Sanders is Chambers utmost for size. Oswald Chambers. I think so, yeah. Sanders okay. is spiritual leadership. One of the Oswalds. <laughs> yes. <laughs> One of the Oswalds said that. Exactly. But let me let me say that again. It's complete weakness yeah. and dependence is always occasion for the Spirit of God to manifest his power. Yeah. And what I've observed in places like Uganda, South Africa, um, and then in London, which are very that's radically different, you know. <laughs> sure. Yeah, actually yeah. The, all three of those are radically different from each other is there's this common thread of desperation, of dependence that has been mm. brought about by the narrative of their nations, you know, spiritually, practically, you know, obviously in, in the African context, a lot of poverty. In the British context, there's just a lot of uh, spiritual poverty. There's, you know, yeah. deep post-Christianity where there's more than skepticism, there's hostility towards mm. the faith or complete indifference. And out of that desperation, there seems to be power manifest that can't be explained by a cool guitar, you know, amp or, um, you know, smoke machine or whatever. Not that that's all bad, but if that's where we're trust, if, if, if we view that as the power source, we just are, we're selling ourselves so short. And so I do think what my, my thought is just in places where people are really hungry and desperate, it feels like worship flourishes. Yeah. What do you think about that, Josh? Yeah. I think it all comes down to, I think, in America, I feel like we've just gotten very comfortable with our with our gatherings and how we come together. Um, and about five years ago, I actually had an opportunity to go to Nicaragua on a mission trip and just see several different churches and how they worship. But there was this one church that we, you know, visited that, you know, the pastors and stuff would say, like, you know, we don't have a roof where we meet. Yeah. And it's rain or shine, we're here. And I think that's so interesting and comparing to our own experience because, you know, we walk in wondering, you know, once again, what songs are they going to play? Like, you know, are my ears going to hurt? Whereas, you know, people in other parts of the world are, you know, like, are we going to have good weather? Are we going to be able to like, you know, survive through the meeting, I guess, like, you know, just with our circumstances and with the atmosphere that we have, that we're working with. Mm. Um, And I just think it's so cool how people can look past the 
surface level circumstances or um, things that they're working with, I guess, to uh, to recenter themselves on what's most important. Right. Yeah. You know, I I'm reminded of uh, an opportunity our church canopy has had over the last couple of years to serve at the Orange County Rescue Mission or the Village of Hope, yeah, which is not cool. too far from now, right. yeah, from here in Tustin. And it is, no kidding, like our favorite place hmm. to worship, not necessarily just lead worship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's an incredible crew of about probably 80 to 100 residents that are coming out of home, homelessness, coming out of addiction, com- coming out of very broken places, sometimes families mm-hmm. together. Uh, sometimes couples, sometimes singles, but when they show up to worship, you know they're what you were describing, Josh. They're bringing it all with them, all the baggage. Yep. They are. They're. They're under no illusion. Their lives are together. Mm. They're desperately mm. connected to their need from God, need for God, and their need from God. Just whatever He's going to give them. There's an expectancy. There's a passion. And it really doesn't matter who's on stage. And it's funny, Josh knows this because it was a month or two ago that. I was out of town, our other couple worship leaders that are in rotation were out of town, and I started calling through my Rolodex. Um, <laughs> there used to be this thing called Rolodex, it was really cool, oh, yeah, I, I still use that word, yeah. I don't know why, but anyway, my, no, I went through still, all my... Yeah, it works. Yeah. It, it does works. It, yeah, yeah, good, good. Uh, I went through my iPhone, and literally, I mean, I've got some hookups as far as, I've got a lot of yeah. friends lead worship, <laughs> yeah, exactly. and Josh is one of them, yeah. and he was gracious enough to go, oh, I'm, you were flying out of town, right, yeah, you're yeah. saying I love to lead in those contexts. Literally, I, we called about 20 different working worship leaders, and it got down to, I'm not kidding, there was a girl in our house church, a woman in our house church, that had sung once. First time she'd ever sung, like publicly, was in our house church about two weeks earlier. Oh my gosh. And then there's a guy that taught himself guitar six months ago. Um, (laughs) And that was all we could find. And I was scared to death, because I was out of town, and I'm thinking, gosh, we want to serve this community, and we're sending just the, you know, the the end of the bench in terms of what's in my mind. Right. And the stories that came out of that night, it was remarkable, you know, that <laughs> the, the crowd carried the worship. Wow. Yes. And, um, but God used this amazing, humble woman and, and this guy to, to facilitate worship. Mm-hmm. And it's just a reminder that it's not that excellence is wrong. It's not. I mean, there's, it's biblical. I mean, read the story of the, the Levites and we'll see God places a premium on effort yeah. and excellence, mm-hmm. but that's not the end game. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's something about that raw, passionate availability that can, mm-hmm. that can overcome a lot of, you know, bad chords or transitions <laughs> right, right, that, right. Um, that is important for a church to continually be awakened to. That's cool. Yeah. Josh, he might, I mean, if, if that's where he's going with who he's calling, he might be able to call me even, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you're on the list. <laughs> You're in the Rolodex, Eric. (laughs) I'm usually on like utter desperation. This last Sunday, actually, Josh led with by with bass because the bass player didn't show up. Nice sting, the sting of worship. Yeah, he was, he was. Oh my gosh! (laughs) But he, I I was preaching, and he, but he still was like asking, like, "Hey, you want to play bass?" (laughs) Which was classic. I actually declined, although I would normally have loved to. Um, But hey, one thing we haven't talked about really in in this series yet at all is uh, actually writing music. Now, both of you, uh, I think, write original music. I've. I've back in in my day I've I've led some Todd Proctor worship songs <laughs> and uh, yes for some reason yield is yielding is what comes into my oh, head right now I love that's that song classic. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so um, but uh, but just 
you know, I'd love to just kind of hear a little bit of um, like, how does God place songs on your heart? Kind of what's some of your process with that? How do you, I mean, I'll, I'll ask some more, but kind of just how do you know if a song, if you feel like this song is right to be able to like actually bring to the congregation, you know, that you're a part of at that time, you know, what's, what's some of your thoughts on that? How does God play songs in your heart? Yeah. Uh, so I think for me, um, it just, it can pretty much start wherever I think with, you know, being, I guess, multifaceted in different instruments and everything. I am often able to take different approaches with writing music for songs. So whether it starts on a piano or a guitar or just even a melody I hear in my head, there's, yeah. there's that aspect of it. But then even just like, I can think of multiple times where it's like, okay, I was reading a passage and a song just came to my mind and it wrote itself pretty much right out of the passage yeah. or even on our houseboat trip for our college ministry this past summer, um, there was like five or six songs that came out of that trip. And it was just, you know, we had lots of quiet times where we were just sitting and looking out over the lake and just whatever, you know, and I think even just allowing myself that space because, you know, we're so go, go, go all the time. And very, very little do we actually get the space to sit and listen yeah. yeah a lot and even going back to you like there's times in worship where we just need to sit and reflect because we are often singing and talking all the time and it just to allow god to have our full attention mm-hmm. and even just in that 40 minute time just allowed so many things to come to my heart and um i think when it comes to you know running it through the filter of you know is this song just for me is this song for you know, our congregation or even an album. Um, I think I have to run it through the process of, okay, I know this song really ministers to my heart. Cause if it did, if it didn't, I wouldn't have written it or, you know, penned it, but does this translate well to other people's circumstances? Yeah, and, yeah. you know, cause there's some songs that God can do like a big healing work, even just in our personal lives, just by having that intimate time with him and putting it all on paper, just basically what God is doing in our life. But sometimes the way that it's worded doesn't doesn't speak to other people or resonate with other people um i think oftentimes a lot of most of the songs that i have shared with our congregation or other congregations have been songs that are just universally true about god or even just situationally if it's coming from a point of view of this is how i feel about god something that everyone you know a situation everyone could have been in at one point like you know through the trials, I will trust you or some, something to that effect. Um, and then in terms of an album and like actually like mass producing it and sending it out to whoever, um, I, I don't know, maybe you can speak more to that Todd, because I know you've done but, a lot more than that. But I wait, have. wait, let's, before we move to Todd, let's, let's yeah. stay, stick on you for a sure, second okay. here. <laughs> um, like to deflect. Because <laughs> I bet people, because it's not like when we sing a song that you've written, mm-hmm. we don't put some like flashing sign up on the screens that's right. song by Josh, yeah. you know? No, I would, <laughs> so, I would, but there are a, few, a couple songs that we do sing, like kind of on our rotation, mm-hmm. right? So to speak. Sure. Uh, but so what are, what are a couple of those titles or what are some of the key lines in those? Uh, the one that we've saying probably the most is a song called come and lift your eyes and the chorus that uh it that i guess immediately just comes to my mind is um a love that wore a price he paid with sacrifice uh so come and lift your eyes uh jesus is the lord Mm -hmm. and i think i i wanted to share that because i feel like that's a again just kind of a universal 
truth about God. Like, yes, his love had a price that he paid for us. Mm-hmm. And out of that, like, regardless of where we are, we, you know, we lift our eyes. Where does our help come from? Like right. we lift right. our eyes to the Lord. Yep. Um, so that's one of them. And the other one, I guess, is kind of along that theme of trust. It's just called, I will trust. And it's just yep. a song that I wrote on our writing retreat. Actually, yeah, it was right. just, yeah, it's just kind of a universal song. So. That's cool. And then didn't you, like you, you wrote a lot of times you'll write a chorus or something for like a hymn, but mm-hmm. you wrote, didn't you write a fourth or something like a fourth verse for? Yeah. So uh, this, for yeah. What, was that for, is that for how great there are? Yeah. This past okay. Easter, we, yeah. cause I was looking for songs and sets and we're, you know, in the process of just trying to like continually blend our services and, you know, make them access accessible to our whole congregation, at least yeah. for a part of it. And how great thou art is just, it's a timeless song that I thought would be really cool to open with for Easter. But yeah. through the process of looking through the lyrics, we, you know, discover like, oh, there's really no verse that talks about the resurrection. And uh-huh. so between Trevor Barons and I, we sat down and we just came up with the words like, then on the third came those who dearly loved him. He is not here. The stone is rolled away. So do not fear. Behold, the tomb is empty. Jesus, our Lord has risen from the grave. So it's pretty it's epic. Todd. Simple four, <laughs> simple four lines. Like yeah. the melody was already written. Like just keep with the same verse. But literally every time we sing that, like our church isn't a cheering church, no, I would say, I or, but like <laughs> just random eruption of applause and cheering. It's like, okay, like that's like, mm-hmm. I think that's been confirmation for us. Like, okay, that sticks. Like that's yeah. something that like really rings true for a lot of people. Yeah. That's awesome. Wow. it sounds epic. I know. I love it. I love it. I think our church isn't a cheering church, but whenever there's a line in a song, that's like a resurrection themed mm-hmm. line, the people just, it's like, yeah, man, they get pumped. Totally. It's pretty cool to see that. So like for you, some of that, and, and I know I, I, I think, okay, what's like, I'm trying to think what's the, you're going to be super uncomfortable with this, but what's like the most famous Todd Proctor song that I can think of is probably child of God. Is that right? Do you think, I know you're going to hate this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. This makes me happy. Um, but yeah. like, I don't know. That's where I thought of me singing, at least my experience of singing songs. I mean, that song for like, we would sing that song on the on the weekly, you know, <laughs> that's good. That's but good. how do you know, like, I mean, do you know when you're kind of working on a song like that, like this has resonance with people? Do you feel like? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what Josh's experience is. Every song I'm working on, I at some point think is the best song I've ever written. You know, so I'm, <laughs> right. I'm convinced, okay, like cool, I'm yeah. working on some now. I'm like, this is the song. Yeah. yeah. And, and so some of that is just part of the creative process of, of expectancy. And, you know, songwriting is a bit like giving birth where you're just sort of on this journey and excited to see what's going to come out. And, yeah. uh, I, I think there's all sorts of tripwires today that didn't exist even 20 years ago around songwriting because worship has become unexpectedly such a massive platform, not only for ministry, but for business and careers and Mm -hmm. money and all that. It's easy for the the creative and spiritual journey to be corrupted by agenda of this is good, but is it singable enough? Or Mm. would this, you know, would this sing in Uganda or what, you know, is it all all these crazy thoughts in our heads of, is it enough like this song or this guy's style? Yeah. Mm. And so I know my process used to be just this real pure, almost Davidic. I just need to get this out for me. Yeah. Period. I mean, I just need to get this one out for me. I wasn't, wasn't even in the early days thinking much about our church. What was exciting for me was to begin to realize, wow, I'm positioned, you know, part of my Levitical call isn't just to help, 
you know, shepherd the, the sacrificial response of our people, but it's actually to be a scribe for the journey we're on. And what becomes really powerful, and this is happening for you guys through Josh and the team, mm-hmm. is when you have a leader and a team that are able to mark seasons of your church with songs that are flowing from the life and journey of your church, as mm-hmm. opposed to having to import everything. I don't think there's anything wrong with using songs that, for whatever reason, God has blessed and touched. And that, that's in a cool way, very unifying towards the church. Jesus loves unity, and that's one way we yeah, exhibit like global unity is through singing songs. However, I really think we've overplayed that. And mm. I, I talked, I had a conversation with a good friend of mine recently who's a really well-known worship leader who has spent a lot of time in Orange County. And his, I was just asking from him, his perspective on the worship culture of Orange County. And one of his observations was, he said, man, it feels like everybody's doing the same set list. Like every Sunday, mm. we're, we're sort of all doing these, yeah. and I won't even say them, but you know, these kind of familiar churches have produced these epic songs. Yep. And we're doing not only the songs, but the arrangements down to the verse and the you know, well, with tracks, we're doing them exactly the well, same. Well, exactly, Eric. And that, that has its own issues because, yeah. I mean, that's a whole other conversation of well, what happens if God wanted you to do an extra verse or camp out for a few extra minutes in this, and if you're bound to a track, then that's a whole other problem. But the, the, the main thing is I would, I would grieve, like the Rock Harbor journey that I was a part of, um, man, there were dozens of songs that weren't amazing songs, but they were our songs. Yeah, they yeah. were birthed out of our story, and I know, you know, hundreds, thousands of people that they, in the same way. I mean, this is cheesy, but you know, when I think of my junior prom, I think of "You're the Inspiration" by yes. Chicago, <laughs> Chicago Seventeen, and there's there's a uh. crazy power music has to. Um, capture significant moments yep. and seal those moments. And, and that is the power these these homegrown songs have in the, the journey of a church. Mm. When a song emerges to capture a moment, to capture a season, one thing we used to do with our team is we'd sort of declare the season we're in. Like there were seasons of reverence where we did say, gosh, we're too passionate. We're, we're almost, we're too expectant. We're coming in with so much sort of excitement that we've missed that call to slow down and realize who we're coming before. Mm. And so we begin to identify songs outside of our church, but write songs from within our church. There were three or four songs that came out of that season that were our sort of prayers set to music that really marked that time in ways that became a reference point for the maturity and journey of our church. So Mm. I I just say all that to say, it's so exciting that Josh and the team are writing for this story because this is a significant story that needs a soundtrack that's your soundtrack. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I should say, I'm sorry, I was leading worship back in like the late 90s, early 2000s. So I'm like, my, I'm drawing from those songs with you. Oh, so yeah. that's the only, because I yeah, haven't those led. Those are the best of yeah. them. It's, it's always the early stuff. So I haven't led, I haven't really, they don't let me lead anymore, so. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, but it's awesome. So yeah, thanks you guys. Because I think that, I think a lot of people don't really, sort of know, like, what is that process, some of that process like, or Mm -hmm. how do these songs just sort of appear in our, you know, in our world of Mm -hmm. music? And And last last thing I'd love to say, Eric, is it's it's a gift to have a community that is willing to be a greenhouse for those songs to emerge um, and can give grace for that. Because it's funny, (laughs) I can think of a couple songs I wrote (laughs) that it was like, three times in, like I'd try it and I'm like, well, the chorus was good, but the verse was terrible. And then we'd wait a week or two and then try it again. And it's like, and really we were workshopping this song mm. in ways that 
I'm sure our people were, you know, in some ways confused and <laughs> and disoriented, <laughs> but they played a part in writing the song because they gave a they gave the grace for a greenhouse to exist for that song to be born. Yeah. And so I just affirm a church that can be that. Yeah. Well, good. I think we're we're kind of new to that because I don't think we've had a, a lot of that over the years. That's sort of newer for us, mm-hmm. and I think it's been something we've wanted to, but just has been. I think Josh is like really a person that, you know, God's given that gifting mm-hmm. and, and passion and uh, to go for it. and courage. I think it takes some courage too, right? To to write a song Absolutely. and then just actually play it in front of a group of people and <laughs> hope that they don't all just stare at you with blank faces. <laughs> like, <laughs> what is this? I've had yeah. those moments. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what do you? You know, within this, you know, when you think about this, like, uh, what do you think about new music in the church? And, you know, a lot of, um, you know, there's this kind of part of the quote, some of the like worship debates or whatever have just been like the, this value in old music. And then there's this value in new music. And I, th- I think the scriptures really, I actually try to encourage people, you know, the scriptures don't ever really say, you know, sing an old song to the Lord. They say, <laughs> sing a new song to the Lord. Um, right. so if you want to really get biblical with it, I think it's, yeah, this, this creation of, of new music is really important, but like, what is the benefit of, you know, new music being created, and implemented, but also what are maybe some of those risks in continually seeking after the new, Yeah, you know, is there kind of some of that give and take with that? Do you guys have thoughts on that? Cause I think people are kind of wrestling with this whole thing of old and new. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I do think, well, we've already said, I think new songs are, are important, not because they're cool or, um, you've got to keep things fresh. It's not, I, I think because there should be assumption of there are new stories, there are new, revelations and epiphanies God's giving his people that yeah. that aren't new truths. That's the funny thing is like there's not really new truth. And, right. and I think the Bible has plenty of truth to mine, but new ways of articulating that and capturing that with chord charts and, you know, artful, you know, poetry. And, and I, I think that's a real, really important front line for the church. However, you know, I'm trying to think what psalm it is. There's, there's 145 that says, you know, one generation shall commend the works of God to the next. Mm-hmm. And there is something really powerful, too, about a connectedness to history and to past yeah. generations and the things that God, were, were, you know, was revealing. I'll be with my parents for Thanksgiving, and we will tell stories. My parents are in their early 80s of... Thanksgivings when I was a kid and when they were kids and there's something about recalibrating to those moments as well. So yeah. I I want the best of both worlds. I want yeah. both the past and the the present and the future in mm-hmm. in these moments together. Yeah. This could be just a total stylistic thing and so I could be wrong completely on this question that I'm going to ask but I'm going to just risk it anyways, but it's there's something for some reason, I think I have some thoughts, but there I tend to really like old old or new, new, but it's like middle that is kind of where I don't like as much. And it's just, this is me like saying what I like mm-hmm. <laughs> or or resonate with. And I kind of wonder what that is. Do, you, do either of you like know what I'm talking about at all? <laughs> are you talking <laughs> when it comes to songs? Like, are you dissing 80s worship? Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what's going on? Don't <laughs> underestimate the power of Michael W. Smith. I know. And that's what I don't. Yeah, maybe I am. But maybe it's that we need to see what songs from there because like stood the test of time, right, like sure. the way some of maybe, because I think there's, I always say, I think there was probably, you know, hundreds of old hymns and we still sing 10 of them, mm-hmm. you know, and because those 10 were yeah. like epic and stood the test of time. And it could be a few more than that. I mean, just for example, yeah. 10, but, um, you know, I wonder if 
in, you know, 50 years from now, we'll sing some, you know, 10 songs from the 80s, 90s and, you know, or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. It's a kind of a, just an interesting thought, I think. I don't know what will stand yeah. the test of time. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting because we're we're in a place in time where the worship music market quote unquote is so saturated and yeah. there's like more new music coming out now than there's ever, ever been yeah. i mean cuz literally anybody with a computer and knowledge of a you know how an you know a interface works can create a, a song which is awesome and it's great um but i think we're we're start we're going to see more in the years to come like the amount of songs that get left behind for not standing the test of time, you know, per se. Yeah. Um, but I think for just for me and my view of it, I think, you know, going back to if our goal is to unify everyone together to the heart of God, um, I, I would agree and say like there's there's importance in both the past and the present because I think, you know, that there's obviously God is consistent, but he's not monotonous. And so to to sing a new song is important because he's always doing something new. He's always mm-hmm. doing uh, a new work. Um, but also, I think there's beauty in, you know, even having the view that I have every every Sunday, you know, usually is, you know, when we go and sing a how great thou art or a nothing but the blood, you can you can see it on the people's faces like them almost like going back to a moment in time where that song was really powerful for them or even in a new song that's like connecting with people currently Mm -hmm. a song that maybe part of what's holding them together are the truths that this song is speaking like you can read it on their faces and you can you can hear it in their voices like the the gravity that it holds for them and so i think Mm -hmm. you know not necessarily putting a time stamp on it and being like okay like you know the song oceans doesn't matter anymore. Like there's still like great right. truths in that or any song really. Um, but more so, you know, and I think every community is going to be different and what they resonate with, but looking at the specific needs and the season of the church that you're in and saying, okay, what is the message that is really on our hearts? What is, what is the story that's being written here at Calvary or anywhere else? And what are the songs that are going to align people with God's heart the most in whatever season we're in? Mm -hmm. I think too, that one of the, the things that's essential for worship leaders, which is pastors to to grow in is just a a theological scrutiny of songs. Yeah. Um, Biblical scrutiny songs, because I, I think there were eras of worship that there just wasn't a lot of scrutiny. There were, mm-hmm. you know, we joke about the 80s and I'm a guy, that's <laughs> that's my era. Yeah. But there really wasn't a lot of scrutiny on most of the songs being written. Doesn't mean they're bad or good, mm-hmm. but it means some of them probably packed some heresies in, <laughs> honestly, right, 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 that yeah. were, were not overt, but it baked in there. I, I remember a few songs particularly just that I discovered, <laughs> wow, I've been singing words mm. that really don't paint, paint an act- accurate view of God yeah. or, mm-hmm. or how God works. And, and that's still happening today. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of the hymns, there was so much scrutiny. I mean, the people writing a lot of the hymns that are hundreds and hundreds of years old were, were theologians and pastors mm-hmm. and just took very seriously, yep. not only the craft of, of great music, but, but you know, articulating uh, truth poetically and prophetically, but also biblically yep. in, in, in powerful ways. And so that's why I even think the pairing sometimes of the worship leader and the pastor to really process what are the songs of the season? What do we believe God wants to tell people about himself and about ourselves and him? But also 
let's really take seriously like the, the words we're singing and how they align to the the, the actual truth of God's word, you know? I mean, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Go ahead. Actually, so Todd, uh, a common question or thing that's been brought up to me uh, just from people in the congregation and just how we select songs has been this I, concept or debate of songs that we sing to God or about God versus songs that we sing that are an expression of how we feel about mm-hmm. God or a, you know, a specific season that we're in. Um, I'm just curious to like hear your perspective on that. How do you mix and match the two? Cause I would, I would say that there's, there's not like a hard science to it of, Oh, one category is the only way. And there's, I mean, we use yeah. songs that fit in all types of those categories, but I'm interested to hear your perspective on that. Yeah. Well, the, the good news is we do have a pretty definitive manual of worship called the Psalms. And, right. you know, I, the Psalms are the the set list of generation after generation of God's people. And every direction you described is contained within the Psalms. You mm-hmm. see, yeah. you know, passionate vertical to God. You see calling corporately to sing about God. Mm-hmm. And then you see very personal, like intimate God, I mm. need this from you, mm-hmm. or, or you I'm, anger, I'm really ticked yeah. at you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so Psalms give permission for it all, and I think that's one of the gifts huh. of the Psalms. I do think there's an art to sing, gosh, how do we, and you know this, Josh, but a lot of people don't think about this. I was just talking, we were just starting a worship community in our church plant, and this is where we started, was this idea of worship is not just a set of songs. Um, it is sacrifice. It is this journey we're taking, but it's also conversations where w- when we have conversations with people or write a letter to people, we're not like ADD. We're not mm-hmm. just moving in three or four directions within a minute. You know, yeah. we're we're having, even right now, we're having a conversation in a direction. Yeah. Um, and, and I think to begin to choose songs that allow people to aim in a direction mm. um, and stay on that focus just allows for a very ADD culture yeah. to be able to settle into, are we singing about God that, you know, in, in these next moments, are we singing to God in these next moments? Are yeah. we, these songs of intimacy, exaltation, reverence, I think that's helpful to string songs together. So often young worship leaders can just string songs together by here are my favorites or here yeah. are the most popular ones, or right. these are all in yeah. the same key. And to be yeah. thinking and reflecting on just a, having a conversation about or with God, mm. with, with our community is important. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. And I think part of what like I've hoped for from this whole series that we're doing on this podcast is even to just hear the, for our people to hear the thoughtfulness that goes behind mm. what happens on a, you know, on a worship stage and mm-hmm. kind of like all of this thought, because I think that we're going to have, I mean, you have got like, uh, like almost like three hours of this like thoughtful conversation about this topic that we, we don't take it lightly. Mm-hmm. You know, we take this very seriously. It's very uh, thought through. It's very planned in some way, but also trying to have that, the classic of planned mm-hmm. yet also open and freed and led by the Holy spirit. And, um, so like I, hopefully our people, we hope is that you are encouraged that you are encouraged that the people that are leading you are thinking well, studying, seeking the Lord deeply about, um, what happens when we sing to God in worship and then what worship means beyond that as well as we've Mm -hmm. talked about. And so, um, cause it's so much more. So I just want to, you know, Todd, I just want to say thank you so much Mm -hmm. to you. You've been a man that I have like really respected a lot and it's been a joy to get to know you more. And so can I just affirm you too? I, I think some people may not appreciate that more lead pastors than not, 
delegate these conversations, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not that there's no interest in worship, but it's something that's sort of hired in and parted out. Mm-hmm. And not just today, but our interactions around your church, this is something you've been really passionate about as a mm-hmm. leader. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you have to be on stage leading with your bass or whatever. Yeah, I mean, that, I that may be actually but counterproductive. I, but, I but I can be, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just want to affirm, I know you're, you're a great yeah. leader who cares about the worship culture that's being forged here. And, yeah. and I think God's really happy about that. Cool. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much. All right. Well, thank you for listening to this uh, worship series and to the Calvary Life Podcast. See you guys. Thanks again for joining us on the Calvary Life Podcast. If you enjoyed our show this week, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. If you want to learn more about Calvary Church or share any of your thoughts, check us out on our website at calvarylife.org or find us on one of our social media accounts. We're on Instagram at calvary underscore church, Facebook at Calvary Church of Santa Ana, and Twitter at Calvary Life.